Tim and I had been talking about this entrepreneurs meeting, encouraging people to follow their dreams and learn how to do it, that we left a couple of vital details out. So this is part two of that announcement. My gift is starting, not details. <laughs> anyway, uh, two things that I didn't uh, announce. One, if you want to come, if you would meet me back at the Connect booth after the service, we'd love to get you signed up uh, for the meeting so we know how many to plan for for the breakfast. Uh, two, if you're an entrepreneur and you've been doing that for a while, we need other people to help us. We need other leaders that c can be connection points. So this isn't a one-man show. We need we need a team that can really do this. So um, happy to have some of those. So you could meet me in the Connect booth or talk to me anytime you want. Great. All right. Well, this morning, John Mark's going to share with us, and we're in the process of studying the book of Matthew. And um, I think last week, Al did the temptation of Christ. And this morning, John Mark's going to do the Beatitudes. And the next week, I'll do the Lord's Prayer, and then we'll continue from there. So let's welcome John Mark. All right. Uh, if you would, let's stand up and let's read this together. All right. All right. And let's say, let's say blessed instead of blessed, because blessed feels more like what you would say in your normal life. Um, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. You can sit down. All right. So I don't know if I'm nervous or just heavily caffeinated. Uh, I usually don't get nervous when I'm speaking. Um, you just kind of get used to it. You know, I was, er I was nervous when I was younger, being in front of large crowds of people, but... These days I'm only nervous when I feel unprepared. <laughs> um, and I have a lot of notes, so I don't know why I feel unprepared. Maybe I feel unprepared because what I want to um, express to you is, is greater than what I feel like my ability, greater than the ability I feel like I have to express it. Does that make sense? I just proved my point right there. All right. So we're doing this series on Matthew, um, Matthew 1, we heard about the Christmas story, Matthew 2, Andy spoke on the conditions surrounding the birth of Jesus, and we were challenged to hold uh, the tragic and the miraculous together in tension. Matthew 3, my dad spoke about John the Baptist, who prepares the way for the ministry of Jesus. Last week, Al spoke on Matthew 4, the temptation in the wilderness. I was at a funeral, so I was not here last week, but everyone told me it's really, really good. And uh, I meant to listen to the podcast this week, but um, we got snowed in. And if you have children, you know what the snow days mean. 
I mean, you don't get anything done. But <laughs> uh, this week, I'm speaking on Matthew 5. Matthew 5, the beginning of the ministry of Jesus that began after his temptation in the wilderness. Um, so first of all, I want to say um, that I did a year-long study of Matthew 5 through 7 a few years ago, and it transformed my life. And it likely uh, saved my faith, if I'm being honest. Because I started to feel like I was losing my mind at one point in my faith journey. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. We don't talk about that a lot, but it's common. <laughs> uh, I was trying to read into all these secret signs, but no matter how hard I tried, I felt like I was doing the rain dance wrong. I'm not against the secret signs or the rain dance. I just couldn't figure them out. Right? And to be honest, for, for much of my life, likely I wasn't in a place to receive um, before that point when I thought I was going to lose my mind. Uh, but most people, myself included, usually aren't willing to do the hard work it takes to change until we experience pain. Most people won't change without pain, and I'm like most people, unfortunately. But in a dark season where uh, I'd given up on almost everything I believed, I, I began to piece together a new faith. I began to piece together a new faith. And I realized in that process that while I'd been a believer most of my life, I actually knew very little about the person of Jesus I'd spent most of my journey walking the peripherals of the faith and spent very little time with the direct words of its author and finisher. I spent very little time with the direct words of the author and finisher of my faith. But in this time, I've come to believe that Jesus was not only a miracle worker and a prophet. Jesus was and is also brilliant. Jesus is also brilliant. Jesus didn't bring us magic spells or a new law to appease a new God in a new way. He showed us an actual better way to live. An actual better way to live. So all this to say, there's a lot here, and I have a lot to say, but it's likely I'll only scratch the surface. But my greatest hope is that, I, is that I'd be able to inspire you to dig in and discover or rediscover the better way. Is that all right? I want to begin by reading an excerpt from the end of Matthew chapter 4 that I think sets up Matthew chapter 5 really well. It's Matthew 4.23. And he, speaking to Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him, they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the, and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. 
right? So this is how we jump into Matthew chapter 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and he sat down as disciples came to him. Very quickly, Jesus comes out of the wilderness and we talk about the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus' ministry can be summed up fairly simply in this time. And he went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease. This sort of sums up Jesus' ministry. He was he taught, he proclaimed the kingdom, and he healed. Today, I'm going to touch on a little bit of the teaching and the proclaiming. I might talk a little bit about the healing, but I think my dad has a message on that he wants to share, and there's only so much time today. All right? So first of all, let's talk about the teaching of Jesus. Jesus was a teacher. I know this sounds ridiculous to say this out loud, but we don't always think of him that way. You know, he was not necessarily vocationally a teacher, but we see people in the Bible regularly refer to him as teacher. And Jesus often went from place to place, as we just saw, for the purpose of teaching. Jesus was a teacher. He taught, proclaimed the kingdom, and he healed. He was a teacher. He taught. That means we have something to learn. And if you think you don't have something to learn from Jesus, you're in big trouble. Jesus made disciples. A disciple is a disciplined learner. A student, but more like what we would call an apprentice. If you were a young Jewish boy during Jesus' day, when you reached a certain age, probably 13, your father would take you to work with him and you would learn the family business from him. You would learn by doing. This is what it means to be a disciple. Jesus is still looking for disciples, not just converts, but disciples. Apprentices, disciplined learners. Matthew 5 through 7 is known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's the most concise presentation of the fundamental and important teachings of Jesus. Matthew 5 through 7 is one message that Jesus spoke in one sitting. So you can read all three chapters and get an idea of what it would be like if Jesus came to preach here in this church. It would sound a lot like Matthew 5 through 7. If you went to the conference and he was the guest speaker, it would sound a lot like Matthew 5 through 7. Um, A friend of ours who's preached here often calls the Sermon on the Mount something like uh, Randall Worley. A friend of ours who comes preaching here sometimes, he calls the Sermon on the Mount something like the Constitution of the Kingdom of God. The Sermon on the Mount is the backbone of the Christian way of life. You could almost say that to be a Christian means to pursue the way of life that Jesus describes here in Matthew 5 through 7. If you want to follow Jesus, Matthew 5 through 7 is the closest thing to a road map that you're ever going to find. The dialogue here is the difference between... For us, speaking for us, the dialogue here in Matthew 5 through 7 is the difference between the American folk religion we call Christianity and the true transformative discipline of the Christianity, the true discipleship of the faith. If you wonder why I'm nervous, that's really hard to say. And I include myself in the category of those who have pursued the American folk religion and have confused cultural Christianity with the Jesus way. I think we all fit into that category in some way, shape, or form. And that's okay. 
Dallas Willard said the idea of faith in Jesus has become almost totally isolated from being his apprentices and learning how to do what he said. This sounds harsh, but it's not meant to be. It's not meant to be a talk on how we validate our faith and our religion. Maybe what I'd rather say is that cultural Christianity just doesn't lead to the better way of life. Cultural Christianity just doesn't work. It's not that it's simply gross or bad or wrong as much as it just doesn't work. It's not transformative. It's not the better way. It isn't the good life. Something else I'd like to say about the teaching of Jesus here is that I think it's important to understand that I don't think Jesus here is setting up a new law. I don't believe these teachings are necessarily a new law as much as he's setting up a new approach to living. I don't believe that it was ever the aim of Jesus that we would simply mimic his movements. His goal is that we would see the world and approach life from his perspective. For instance, in Matthew 5, 27, I really don't think Jesus actually wants you to cut your hand off or pluck your eye out. I've never met a Christian who did. (laughs) I mean, do you think he really wants you to cut your hand off or pluck your eye out? No, you don't. Because that's not what he's actually saying. He's not setting up a new law. He's trying to show us a new way to see the world and help us approach living in a different way. So let's talk for a minute. What did Jesus teach about? What did Jesus teach about? I know this seems really um, elementary, really elementary, but you know, I went much of my Christian life without ever thinking about this stuff. What did Jesus teach about? Jesus taught a lot less about the afterlife than you would imagine, first of all. Jesus' primary message was actually not salvation, if you can hear that. His primary message was not salvation. Salvation is obviously not irrelevant, but it's only part of a greater narrative. It's a comma in the sentence. It's not a period. Most of what Jesus had to teach, had to say, most of what Jesus taught about had to do with your life right here, right now, with the people who are right here with you right now, today. That's most of what he taught about. And I don't say this to dismiss the resurrection in any way, but because I firmly believe that Jesus' ultimate purpose is not just to keep you alive, but to disciple you in a new way of living life. Jesus obviously doesn't just want to save your consciousness to a hard drive. Salvation and survival are not his ultimate purpose for you. They're only part of it. Sure, survival is part of the story. But the maker's intentions, while they include survival, are so that you would survive to experience a more abundant life. And the more abundant life is not a life full of money, houses, and cars, though I'm not opposed to those things. But I'm convinced the more abundant life is the life we learn to live through the discipline of the Christian way. If you'll notice, the Great Commission is not to make converts, but to teach and make disciples. You'll see that at the end of the chapter of Matthew, uh, the book of Matthew. 
Think about this. If Jesus gave you the ability to live forever, but didn't teach you how to love life, then what kind of eternity would you live? And if you were the kind of person who hated what's good, then what would heaven even be like for you? If goodness tormented you, what would that eternity be like? <laughs> All right. Think about this. If Jesus gave you the ability to live forever but didn't teach you how to love life, then what kind of eternity would you live? And if you were the kind of person who hated what's good, then what would heaven even be like for you? If goodness tormented you, what would that eternity be like for you? Look, I'm not trying to make any statements about the nature of heaven or the afterlife. But what I'm trying to do here is show us the nature and purpose of the Christian life that at, that at least starts here and now. At least starts here and now. The reason we like to talk about the afterlife a lot, I'm not saying Jesus didn't, I'm not saying the Bible doesn't, obviously that's a real important part, right, of scripture and our faith. The resurrection is a big part of our faith, right? But I, I think the reason we like to focus on the afterlife is because it takes us away from the, the hard work of the non-afterlife, of the now life. Of the now life. So Jesus taught... Jesus proclaimed the goodness of the kingdom. Jesus proclaimed the goodness of the kingdom. I know I just left you hanging out there, guys. I'm sorry. We're going to get back to the teaching in just, in just a minute. But second, he proclaimed the goodness of the kingdom. Uh, <laughs> you guys doing all right? Cool. If I'm reading a lot off the page, it's because I want to say things right. There's an opportunity for me to say things wrong if you get real mad at me. But at least if I say it right and you get mad at me, at least you're mad at me because I'm right. And that last beatitude is, means that I'm blessed. So you're persecuting me for righteousness. <laughs> okay. Not persecuting me for stupidity, which I would still be blessed. That actually <laughs> plays into the first beatitude. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But kingdom was not an idea that escaped the people of Israel in Jesus' day. A kingdom was something that I imagine most Jews thought about every single day because the Israelites had been a powerful people. They had a long history of great kings, valiant warriors, battles and victories, and most of all, they had a land that they called their own. But now, here in that very land, the land Moses led them to, the land Joshua led them in, the very land where King David killed Goliath and King Solomon built the great temple on this same land. They were ruled by a cruel and godless regime. And you know, when they read the stories about the deliverance from Egypt, stories about judges like Samson, when they read about the great kings, you know they dreamed about those days and wondered when the kingdom would return. And they waited and they spoke of a king who was prophesied. So it's not like when Jesus started using kingdom talk, this was like new language to them. This was 
the way they talked every day. They thought about the kingdom every single day. And it was so electric that even the rumor of this king, even at the rumor of this king, uh, Herod, it spooked Herod so bad that he ordered all the male children be killed two years and under. So there was a lot of talk about a king. And there was a lot of talk about a kingdom. And there was a lot of expectation and a lot of tension based around this idea of king and kingdom. When Jesus landed on the scene and started talking about the kingdom, it was not like a new thing in one sense. It was something they talked about all the time. This idea of a king and a kingdom must have been a daily thought and conversation for these people. As they walked by the Roman crosses, whenever a Roman took their belongings, whenever a Roman forced them to work, whenever a Roman beat one of their brothers or sisters, you know they were thinking about, dreaming about, and praying for a kingdom to come. Then imagine this. They hear about a man, one of their own, performing miracles, healing diseases, and proclaiming the kingdom. There have been a lot of people proclaiming the kingdom and raise up with swords and go after the Romans and get stomped and killed and massacred. There have been a lot of people talk about the kingdom, but the difference is this guy came around talking about the kingdom and he was performing miracles. You know, the word proclaim is not my favorite word. But it's probably because I haven't spent my whole life dreaming of a kingdom, not like these people had. And if you'd waited your whole life for something and someone begins to talk about it as though it was a current reality, you better believe that you would want to hear what this person had to say. This was the context. This is what was going on in Matthew 5 when Jesus turned toward the crowds and opened up his mouth. Can you imagine how electric it was? Can you imagine how electric it was? They've been persecuted and killed and massacred. And these are people who had great kings and powerful warriors and a long history, right? And they talked and they thought and they prayed about this kingdom all the time. And this man comes around performing miracles. You know, you can't see him on YouTube. Most people can't even read. So they hear these rumors. So everybody wants to see this person. And so as Jesus starts to teach in the synagogues, all of a sudden these crowds start forming. These crowds begin to form. And then can you imagine how disorienting it might have been when they come to hear this person talk about the kingdom and Jesus stands up and starts to wax poetic. As he looks around and he starts naming types of people that would be considered the opposite of blessed. And then he starts to call them blessed. And then he says the kingdom belongs to them. In their day, as in our day, they considered the powerful, the strong, the wise, the wealthy, the healthy, and the charm to be the ones who were blessed. But then Jesus here opens up his essential message, the message of the kingdom of heaven with a list of people he called blessed and never mentions these other types of people. Jesus didn't come to establish another human kingdom built on violence, intimidation, and physical might. Jesus wasn't interested in reliving the glory days. Jesus didn't play into the nostalgic ideas of the kingdom of old. Jesus came to redefine the very idea of what a kingdom could be. 
Jesus came to redefine the very idea of what a kingdom could be. So Jesus opens up his teaching, his message on a new kind of kingdom with eight poetic blessings that have come to be called, they have come to be called the Beatitudes. Is it getting heavy in here? It's heavy up here. The Beatitudes are eight blessings recounted by Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew. Each is a proverb-like proclamation. Four of the blessings also appear in the Sermon on the Plain in the Gospel of Luke, followed by four woes which mirror the blessings. Each Beatitude consists of two phrases, the condition and the result. In almost every case, the condition is from familiar Old Testament context, but Jesus teaches a new interpretation. Together, the Beatitudes present a new set of Christian ideals that focus on a spirit of love and humility, different in orientation than the usual force and exaction taken. They echo the ideas of the teachings of Jesus on mercy, spirituality, and compassion. That's from Wikipedia. We live in an amazing day. Back then, you just had to hear it secondhand. Now we can look everything up on Wikipedia. The Beatitudes are an introduction to the mind of Christ. The Beatitudes are an introduction to the mind of Christ. The Beatitudes challenge our concept of what the very nature of the kingdom of God is. The Beatitudes challenge our concept of what the very nature of goodness and the good life is. They invite us to stand on our heads and uncomfortably attempt to see an upside-down world right-side up. I fully believe that here in the opening to his greatest lecture, Jesus is seeking to disorient our carnal minds so that we would have a chance to catch a vision for something greater than what we've been dreaming about our whole lives. So that we would have a chance to catch a vision for something greater than what we've been dreaming about our whole lives. Like all those people who came to hear him when he spoke this in the beginning. The thing they dreamed about their whole life. And he came to offer them something better than what they dreamed about their whole life. Whatever you've been praying for, chasing after, longing for, building towards, saving for, whatever you've been dreaming of, God has something better. Whatever you've been praying for, chasing after, longing for, building towards, saving for, whatever you've been dreaming of, God has something better. God has something better. God has something better. But it will almost always require that you adjust the way you see things in order to receive it or even understand that it's good. But you will almost always, it will almost always require that you adjust the way you see things in order to receive it or even understand that it is good. So originally when we were talking about what the next series was going to be, I was like, no, originally we talked about doing series. It's like, let's do a series on Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And we opened it up and thought how we'd break it up. It's like, this is too heavy. Can we start somewhere else? You know? Who's going to preach 527? I don't remember. Did Eric get that one? (laughs) Probably. (laughs) 
Oh man, some of these I'm really glad that I'm not teaching. Whew. I'll continue. What the Beatitudes are not. I don't believe the Beatitudes are prescriptive. I don't believe the Beatitudes are a list of qualities that we should desire to emulate or become. This is not a formula to achieve blessing or happiness, but a realigning or understanding about what blessing, goodness, and happiness even are. These are not new commandments or a new law. These are not a new strategy on how to achieve victory, but a redefinition of what victory is. Jesus is interested in telling us how to be good. Excuse me. Jesus isn't as interested. Sorry. Jesus isn't as interested in telling us how to be good as much as he's molding our perspective about what the concept of good means. Jesus is not telling us to go mourn. Jesus is not saying the key to happiness is persecution. Jesus is not saying that the way the kingdom is become spiritually poor. He's saying that none of these things disqualify us from entering into the kingdom of God. He's saying that none of these things disqualify us from experiencing true goodness. None of these things disqualify us from being blessed. But we think they do. I'm going to talk about one or two of these here real quick. I don't think I have time to go through all of them, in fact. When am I supposed to wrap up? Around noon? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, Dallas Willard says that poor in spirit doesn't mean humble in the traditional sense. It certainly is a humble term, but it's less akin to humble at heart and more akin to spiritually ignorant. He's saying the kingdom of heaven is not only for the elite few. It's not for the educated and accomplished. Isn't Jesus the one who says, suffer the little children? And truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is wide open. And whoever you are, it's within your grasp. What you know and don't know doesn't matter. Who you know and who you don't know doesn't matter. And this is a huge deal. Most people in this day and age couldn't even read. Most of the people he's speaking to have only heard spiritual things in meetings where they read the text, uh, where some professional read the text. This was a mind-blowing and revolutionary idea. You could be totally dumb about God and the Bible and spiritual things, and the kingdom of heaven was still open for you if you were willing. Once again, he's not prescribing that you become dumb about God. But then even those who are dumb about God are welcome. Everybody's dumb about God. (laughs) Because with Jesus, you start out blessed. Before original sin, there was original blessing or original goodness. God made you good. 
And Jesus sees that value in you. Who are you? Where did you come from? What do you look like? What have you done? What has been done to you? What have you not done? What's not been done to you? You can be blessed. You can be blessed. You can be, you can be blessed. Are you weak? Are you afraid? Are you insecure? Have you done some not awesome stuff? Do you doubt sometimes? Have you lost somebody? Have you lost your job? Do you feel like you're not good at anything? Do you feel like you came from a poor family? Do you feel like you came from a rich family and you can't live up to it? Do you feel like you can't live up to the expectations of who you're supposed to be? Do you wonder why you struggle and it doesn't seem like other people struggle? You're blessed. At the end of preparing my message, I wanted to write out this list of everybody who was blessed, all the people who were blessed under what Jesus talks about. And here's my list right here. It's empty. So I thought it would be better if you just all wrote your own names on this piece of paper. Because Jesus is saying this, no matter how you feel about yourself or your situation, no matter how you feel about what you know about God or don't know about God, no matter how you feel about the way you've handled your life, no matter what has been handed to you, no matter what hasn't been handed to you, Jesus is saying, here it is. The kingdom is for you. But you have to receive it. And if you're so caught up in all the ways you're not blessed, if you're so caught up in all the ways that you don't have it together, if you're so caught up in the ways that you fail God, if you're so caught up in the ways that you failed yourself, if you're so caught up in the ways you failed your husband and your wife or your children or your friends or your family, if you're so caught up in the way that you haven't lived up, if you're so caught up in the way that things have happened to you, caught up in the way that things haven't happened to you, that you can't see the kingdom right here. Jesus is saying, you got to let go of all those things and realize that you are blessed. You were blessed when you started, 
And you were blessed when you were screwing up. And you were blessed when you were doubting. And you were blessed when they were hurting you. And you were blessed when they took advantage of you. And you were blessed when you lost your best friend. And you were blessed when you got fired. And you were blessed when you got divorced. And you were blessed when you felt guilty about it. And you were blessed when you didn't live up. And you were blessed when you didn't get up and go to the gym. It's cold outside and it's been a snow day. <laughs> but if you don't let go of all that stuff and reach out and grab the kingdom, you will never know how truly blessed you actually are. And that, in my opinion, is the introduction to the mind of Christ. I got this guy at the gym. He's um, one of the guys who works there, and he cleans up the towels and stuff, and everybody loves him. He always has a good attitude. And he's got a million ways to say be blessed, you know what I mean? Too stressed to be blessed. Too blessed to be stressed. (laughs) Oh, man. All right, why don't you stand up and let's pray, okay? Say something before we pray. I I had a um, I had several people I would categorize as spiritual fathers, and one of them was a man from England who died at 104 and started preaching as a teenager in horse and buggy and went through the war, went through all sort of things. And one of the things he used to say to me was this phrase: He would say, "God is to me." what I am not. God is to me what I am not. And see, that's really, we're blessed. We're blessed. We just don't recognize, we don't look at our situations as accurately as Jesus does. I think the, the things that we shy from are the very places God will really bless, uh, you know, bless us and do do for us. So that was tremendous, John Mark. Thank you so much. Hope I didn't just wreck it for no, you. No, no, no. <laughs> I didn't really know how to land the plane anyway. Yeah. That's a great idea, and it's encapsulated in 1 Corinthians 1, 25 through 30, where Paul, see, Paul was this accomplished character, and it's almost like he had to become de-accomplished, knocked off a horse, knocked blind, to begin to write things like, for you know your calling, not many wise, not many noble. And what he's really doing is he's saying, these are the, you know, God just calls everybody. He just wants everybody to embrace him and receive. It's not like you change and then you, you it's not like you, you get blessed when you get better. It's like the blessing of the Lord causes things to turn and causes things to change. So I just pray. Did you want to pray? Yeah, let's pray. Lord Jesus, oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. 
And I pray, Lord, you would open up our eyes and open up our ears and open up our hearts to the things you have to show us, Lord. And show us the joy of being a disciplined follower. Show us the joy of being an apprentice in the good way. Lord Jesus, and help us to stop counting all the ways we're unblessed, Lord Jesus, and start showing us the ways that we are blessed, Lord. Open our eyes to the true nature of the kingdom of God. And show us what our kingdoms are. What is the kingdom we're trying to build? What is the kingdom that we dream about every single day that you want to change our minds about, Lord God? What is it that we thought was one way since we were born that you want to show us is a different way, Lord? We are open to that if that means uh, being part of a true eternal kingdom. And Lord, we bless you. And we thank you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. We have ministry teams today. How many of you felt God touching you during that part of the meeting where I said the Lord was here to touch you? How many of you? How many of you felt that? Well, sometimes that starts something that people can actually help bring to a conclusion by laying hands on you and praying for you. It's the power in the prayer of agreement. That's one aspect of prayer. But And if you're in that category and you want someone to help affirm what God was doing or help you with that, if you'll come over here on this side of our sanctuary, we'll be glad to have our team minister to you or if you just need prayer for other things as well. So we will be glad to see you right over here. And God bless all you folks. Thanks for being here. And have a great week, and go be really nice to somebody. Amen.